okay? I want to start by reading to you Proverbs 18, 22. Proverbs 18, 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, <laughs> and he obtains favor from the Lord, right? So the Bible's pretty clear on, on uh, men, women good, right? Women good, okay? And obviously not a lot of you are married in here, but most of you, I, I, I would assume, are planning on being married at some point, have been married. Some will be married real, real quick. And yeah, woo, go Hagen. Anyways, so we're going to talk about, about what that looks like to be a husband that pleases the Lord. So as we were talking about uh, biblical manhood, one of the things we discussed in Genesis, which I go back to quite often, is the fact that when God made man, he gave him dominion, right? He gave him dominion over the earth and the animals and the sea creatures, and he gave him authority, and then he created the woman as his helper. And as his helper, God created the design, right, for the man to have what's called a headship or a leadership role in this perfect relationship, right? Now, I'm going to summarize the man's role as a leader, okay? Can we all be clear on that, that God designed men to be leaders, right? And so the, the title I gave this first section uh, for husbands that please the Lord is we have to learn how to lead and not dictate, okay? Because there's a very big difference. But for a husband, the leader, the, that leadership starts with his household, okay? And uh, for someone who doesn't have any kids, that's you and your wife. Pretty simple. But as you have kids and different things like that, right, it, it, it extends. So I want to read to you 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. And in 1 Timothy in this section, we're not going to read all of it, but Paul is speaking to Timothy on two different subjects. He talks about what are the, what is the criteria for pastors and overseers in the church. And I believe this is from that first section. And he goes on to talk about what is the criteria, what are the characteristics of, of a deacon in a church. And a deacon really just means servant. So if you want to be somebody who is pleasing to God, who is faithful, acknowledged amongst the church as even a basic servant for the kingdom of God, what should a man look like? And when they're describing that man in both instances for, for, for bishop or overseer, depending on the translation, and for deacon, it uses a similar uh, phrase. Starting in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, of a, of, of a man to fulfill a role as, as bishop or overseer, he must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, right? So one who rules his house well. So already we see this, this aspect of having a leadership role. That not only the word of God, but even Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, uh, is, is giving them wisdom that a man walking in Christ should rule even his own house, right? To have his family in submission. And I want to know, I've talked to several pastors about this, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you, need, that you have to have the perfect home life, 
right? Kids never talk back. Wife never does anything wrong. Husband's perfect, right? Shows up at right at 5 o'clock, eats dinner, cleans the dishes, right? Rubs the wife's feet. Okay. Humans are humans. We're still falling, right? They, they Look, some of the women are getting excited about this message. They're like, wait a minute. Let's back up to the feet rubbing part. Um, but it goes on to say, and I don't have it listed. It might be in the next one, that if a man can't even rule his own house, how is he going to rule over the house of God, Right? And so in the next verse, uh, down in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, And let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. Again, he repeats this, right? He repeats this requirement that you must have your house in order, and you must be the husband of one wife, fulfilling God's calling, right? Now, here's the issue with being a leader. Okay, there are good leaders, and there are bad leaders. Okay, we were just praying about the, f- the future of our country and the leaders that we might get stuck with, okay? And for men, however, it, how many of you have worked multiple jobs but throughout your life? Okay, okay, any of you ever had a really good boss? really good at teaching, really good at, at developing the company. How many of you have, have had a really bad boss? Okay. Well, they were all leaders, right? Well, maybe. They might have all had authority, but they might not have all actually been leaders. So here's a, a pretty easy phrase. Leaders, to be a leader, there's something you have to actually do to fulfill that qualification. Does anybody know what that is? You have to lead. You have to lead. That sounds so silly. It's like, what are you talking about? Of course, it's in the word leader, lead, right? No, 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 but people don't get it. There is a difference between having and exercising authority and being a leader. In order to lead, you have to lead by example. To lead, and I didn't define it, but come on, guys. To lead means I am in front showing you what must be done. I am the example, right? I am setting myself, humanly speaking, as a standard or as a signpost saying, follow me, let's get this done. That is what it means to be a leader. Anybody can sit and point and dictate, okay? I want you to think about people in the Bible who were great leaders, people like Joshua, right? Joshua, who coming out of the wilderness, was one of, uh, one of two people who said, when they got the report of, of what the, the giants in the land of all those things, I think there was 12 people or 10 people sent in, only two of them came back with a good report. Jo- Joshua was one of them, and he said, no, 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 God has given us this land. Let's go take it. And the rest of the people who denied that, who were afraid, because of their fear, because of their their lack of of leadership, their lack of obedience, they got stuck in the wilderness for another 40 years. But when they finally did, when those people died off, and they finally did go in to start conquering the the promised land, you know who was in charge? Joshua. And Joshua was the one who went in. Joshua was the one when Israel started falling, Joshua tore his clothes and cried out to God. When he asked for forgiveness, he said, forgive us, and he put himself in that category. Joshua made himself a leader 
of the people, and he was out in front. He was a leader of, of them physically, of them uh, strategically, of them spiritually. Now, David, King David, one of the greatest kings, if not, well, the greatest king of all of Israel, that guy, in the words of Pastor Mark, the thing that separated David from all the other men in Israel, he knew what his God was like. He knew what his God was like, and he trusted that. When all of Israel's army was shaking in front of Goliath, David stepped out in front. He didn't say, trust God, he'll deliver us. He said, no, let me show you what my God will do. And he, the, the Bible says he ran towards Goliath with no armor. He said, no, nah, I don't want that. And with a freaking rock, right, a rock and a sling, okay, ran towards Goliath. Knocked to do that and cut his head off, right? That was a leader. And they started singing, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Made Saul mad. You know where Saul was? The, the real ruler, the real authoritative person, you know where he was? Behind the army, back at the base, chilling on a throne. David said, follow me. Jesus, one last example. Jesus, as a man, the word of God made flesh. You know, people use a phrase, practice what you preach. You heard that? Nah. Jesus preached what he lived. Jesus preached what he lived. And the biggest part of that discipleship, that three years discipleship he had with his disciples, besides his teachings, was they followed and they saw how he lived. He was in front he wasn't saying, do this, go do this, go there. No, no, no. Before he sent anyone anywhere, before he gave any authority to do any miracles, he had already done it, and he had already provided an example on every step of the way. And then when he did send his followers out, he equipped them and made sure they had the power to get the job done. That is what a leader does. And men are called to lead their households well. Because of that, Men must be leaders of faith. In Genesis 3, the story of the garden, I go back to it all the time. It's so critical, right? Do you know why? You know what really happened that messed up? You know why we're all stuck in sin now? Anybody? Anybody know what the, what the issue there really was? No? No takers? Adam. Man, the women got that one down. They pointing fingers real quick. Did you hear that? Adam did not lead his wife. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, let me tell you, God actually gave the command to Adam. Eve wasn't even, she was, she was still the rib, right? Which means she probably got the command from Adam. It doesn't say that, but when Eve is being deceived, when Eve is having this conversation with Satan, and she turns, she eats that apple, and she turns, and it says, and she gave to her husband who was with her. Adam, what are you doing, bro? What the heck? What's going on? Right? Adam did nothing. Adam didn't take charge. Adam didn't protect his wife. Adam was not leading his faith or his, his family spiritually. And because of that, it caused the downfall of their relationship, their lives, their, the entire dang world. We're still dealing with it. All because this man did not lead his family 
well. Right? In, and that's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says that in Adam all die. Not in Eve. In Adam all die. Because it was his mistake. And one more note, just because I'm on my roll right now. In Genesis 3, you go, you go back and read Genesis 3. When God proclaims the curse on the ground for Adam's sake, you know what the reason that God gave him that curse was? Go back and read it. Because you heeded the voice of your wife rather than the word of God. Whoo! I got that boy in trouble. He didn't do Adam too good either, or uh, Abraham too good either. He got Ishmael. Anyways, in order to be a good leader as husbands, right, as, few, as people who are planning on, on becoming husbands one day, you're going to have a wife that you're going to have to lead. You're going to have to have, ch- you're gonna have children that you're going to have to lead, right? Part of that is you're going to have to teach. You're going to have to teach your wife to trust God. You're going to have to teach your wife to be emotionally strong. You're going to have to teach your children, right, not to slap the kid next door, okay? I, I deal with this stuff. Come on, guys. You're going to have to teach, okay? Be- in order to teach, however, that means you have to be equipped yourself. And that brings me to my next point. Husbands that please the Lord have to be equipped in the word of God. Join with me in um, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, pay attention to this next line. This is critical. And in his law, he meditates, he considers, right? He digests day and night, day and night. You know what the outcome of a man who does that will be? Let me tell you. He shall be like a tree, planted like rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. Now, the, the moment you become a husband, it's not just you on the line anymore. The Bible says you become one flesh. If you have children, that just adds to the mix, right? Let me ask you something, men. Do you want your marriage to prosper? Do you want your children to prosper? Do you want your faith, your family, your endeavors to bear fruit and all that you do be established? The Word of God says, delight and meditate in the law of the Lord day and night. Then you will bring forth fruit in your season, and your leaf will never wither. Never, ever wither. So you have to be equipped first, right? Meditate on the word day and night. Grow. Allow God to teach you, because check it out. Even if you got all the b- verses in the Bible down, you got to memorize the moment you, you have to be married, right? And you have to deal with the things that happen in life and your own pride and someone else's pride and all these things, right? And credit cards showing up that you didn't even know someone filled out. (laughs) Things get tricky, right? Things get tricky, right? It's something you have to live out. But if you continue to seek 
the Lord. He will guide your heart and he will guide your steps. That is a promise, right? If you seek the Lord. Okay. So, we already talked about what it was that separated David from the rest of the people, right? The same thing that separated Joshua and Caleb from the rest of the people, okay, is that they knew God's word, they knew who he was, and they trusted him above anything else, and they were willing to follow him even into the darkest pits. And people, don't, people seem to forget this, but the moment you take your marriage vows, they are preparing you for the darkest pits in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, until death do us part. Not until she scratches my car, right? Not until she keeps, you know, not letting me go out and get Chinese food. She always wants Mexican food. Not, <laughs> not until, I, I don't know. I don't know what people deal with, right? All kinds of crazy issues. Till death do us part. That's a big commitment. They were willing to follow God into the darkest areas, right? And the same thing that separated Jesus from everything, everyone else, aside from the fact that he was God, is he was solely dependent and obedient to his Father's word and will. Okay. So, husbands, if you want to please the Lord, you have to be equipped. But you're also, as leaders, called to equip other. In 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm going to have to look up here. I didn't write that on my list. It says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Hello, men. That's a commitment right there, right? And that can be to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, right? But as husbands, that's going to be to your future children, to your already children, if anybody has any. In fact, in the Old Testament, it tells them to write the law on their doorposts and read them as they go in and out every day. I got to get on that one, right? But more importantly... That means your wife. And see, these are things that we need to start building or that you, if, you don't, if you're not married, you need to start building now. You need to start considering these things and becoming this man now. You want a godly woman in your life? You want a godly marriage? You want a woman who fears the Lord? Guess what? If you don't, she's not going to want you. And if she does, there's something wrong. You need to go the other direction. Right? My final headline is <clears throat> for being uh, husbands that please the Lord. You hear, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You ever heard that? I don't hear a lot of people saying I'm a fighter, not a lover, but I know some of them people. The Bible actually calls us to be a lover and a fighter. A lover and a fighter. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in, the, in this paragraph down through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> in husbands that want to please the Lord, there's one thing that above all you, you have to learn and be prepared to do. Okay? Y'all with me? Starting in verse 25, it says, Husbands, 
love your wives. Love your wives. Bye, Bubba. Hey, you want to sing Jesus? Okay, you want to sing here? Okay, good job. Anyways, that's my kids. No, Bubba. Hey, that's enough. That's enough. Anyways, husbands love your wives. Now, we've talked before about love. And biblical love is love that is selfless, love that always does what is in the other's best interest. You know what else that depicts? Being a servant. Being a servant. As a husband who loves your wife, you have to have a mindset of being a servant. Well, wait a minute. Come on, Pastor Darren. Didn't you just say you had to be a leader? How can you be a leader and a servant at the same time? Because the best leaders are really serving the people following them. The best leaders are serving others to be built up, to have their their needs furnished, to, to protect, to guide. The best leaders, real leaders, lead as an act of service. And husbands, you are called not as dictators, but as servants to love your wives and do what is best for her. It goes on to say, husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And everyone in the audience, I already gave you a list. Again, this is going to be a time later on tonight where you can sit down, you can pray, and you can really consider this. And you can fill that list with how does Jesus love the church? And realize that that is your responsibility to do the same for your wife. But here it says that to love the church as Christ, or love your wife as Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. In order to be a husband that pleases the Lord, you have to be willing to give up yourself for your wife. There is no longer independent Darren, independent Courtney. There is now one body, one spirit. One marriage, right? And I spent a lot of time seeking my own desires and spending my free time doing my own things rather than, than fulfilling my family. And that didn't go so well. And I didn't even realize until finally someone came up to me and said, you know, you really need to stop taking on so many things. You really need to start spending time with your family and doing these things and yada, yada, yada. And I'd heard this. I was like, okay, okay, okay. She said, no, you don't understand. Anytime you say yes to something... You're saying no to something else. What are you saying no to? And the only thing on my list was my wife and my children that I was saying no to. Every time I was fulfilling my own desires, or even when I was trying to do good things in ministry, when I was doing too much, I had to give up myself for my wife. All right? For example, let's think about children. When a, when a woman, let's say she has desires, she has dreams, she wants to travel, do all these things, right? Suddenly she has children. What, does, what goes to her priority? The children. Right? If she has to work two jobs, she works two jobs. If she has to stay home, she stays home. The children are hungry, she feeds them. Right? If they're thirsty, she gives them water. If they're hurt, she nurtures them. Right? She gives herself up for her children in the same way, men, be prepared to give yourself up for your wives. 
just as Christ gave himself up literally, literally for his people, right? And love her by sanctifying her, by, by cleansing her, by making her pure in what? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself, to Christ, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, his wife, should be holy and without blemish. Before you enter into a relationship with a woman, even for y'all who, even if y'all are just dating, because if you're not dating for the purpose of someday getting married, you need to ask yourself, what the heck are you doing? Because it's probably not right. <laughs> okay, before you enter into a relationship with a woman, before you, you look at being married, maybe you already are married, you need to consider that God's stewardship for you as a husband is to present your wife before him, holy, separated from the things of this word, world, blameless, and without spot in the, <clears throat> in the word of God. And that's why it's so important to be equipped so we can equip our families, right? It goes on to say in verses 28 through 29, though, in order to love your wives, it says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Right? So husbands, this is where the fighter part comes in. You have to be willing to fight for your marriage. And you have to be willing to fight to obey your Lord. Let me give you an example. Let's say your right foot got a real bad infection. It became an infection of the blood. Now suddenly, we just talked about earlier, um, Big Daddy Weave, was that it? Big Daddy Weave, the lead singer, his brother lost both his feet to an infection, both his feet. Now, let me ask you something. Tell me if you think this is the conversation that happened. Hey, brother of Big Daddy Weave, what's his name? Do you know his name? Let's say Michael. Hey, Michael, you have a really bad infection, right? You know, we're in, we could try and treat it. We could do all these things and put you on these meds and it's going to take a long time and, you know, maybe we can get it or we could just cut your feet off. How many of you think he said, you know what? That's the quicker route. Let's just go ahead and cut off the feet. That man would be insane. Right? That man would be insane. Nobody, nobody hates their own body enough to discard part of it. Right? Nobody outside the loony bin. Okay? Guess what? Two become one flesh. A marriage with struggles is not a broken marriage. It's a sick body. And it's the man's job as the leader to address that sickness. And if it's going to take time, if it's going to take different, different avenues, if it's going to take hurt, if it's going to take pain, if it's going to take stress, it's that man's job to make sure that happens so that he can keep his body intact. Husbands have to fight for their Marriage. In fact, I told my wife one time when we were having some issues and we were arguing a lot, 
And uh, it got to the point where it just, it gets to a point where there's this tension and you know it doesn't matter what you say, there's going to be a fight. It's just there's going to be a fight. And I'm having other people telling me, yeah, see, you know, all marriages, they go the same way, man. You know, and you hear this, oh, one day you'll learn, she'll be the boss. You, you hear these things, right? Well, that's what I was hearing. And I kept saying, no, I don't believe that. That's not God's will. That's not my will. That's not, that's not how it is. And it got to the point where I knew there was going to be a fight, and really I didn't want that. But I knew this situation had to be dealt with because I loved my wife and I loved my marriage, and I wanted a marriage that pleased my Lord. And I told my wife, by the way, I've, done, I've, I've been the bad guy too, so don't think like I'm great and like she messed up. Okay, this was a long time ago anyway. This is a couple years ago. But I told my wife straight up, I am willing to fight for my marriage. If, that's, if, 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 if you raising your voice, if you screaming, if you yelling, if me sitting here for an hour and not letting you sleep until we talk, if that's what it takes, I'm willing to fight for my marriage. And that's what I did for weeks. For weeks. And through prayer and through diligence, God was good to me. And he completely flipped my marriage around in an amazing way. Right? Nourish and cherish. That's another thing, men. You want to avoid getting to the sick body? Nourish your body. Cherish your wife. Do good by them. Right? Malachi 2.16 says, this is the only way we're going to address the subject tonight other than the sick body reference. Malachi 2.16 says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. He hates divorce. All right, the last three verses of Ephesians 5 say, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and we, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular show love, or so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in a nutshell, guys, make sure it's easy for your wife to respect you. Right? If we're, if we're leading godly lives, if we're creating godly homes, if we're treating our wives with love and value as something to be cherished, as a woman to be presented before the Lord, we do well. As men, we do well. And if she rebels, we work harder, we pray harder, we love harder, and we show her Christ. However, if we are lazy, if we are dictators, if we are unloving, if we are uncaring, and our marriage is a mess, the only call is repentance. 99% of failed marriages are the result of pride and unrepentant hearts. It's that simple. That's my own statistic, by the way. I didn't look that up, but pretty sure. Husbands, future husbands, 
equip yourself, lead by example, love your wives, and be ready to fight for your marriages. This is the will of God, and you will be held accountable. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word and your will with these people. Father God, my, my desire is that they would be strengthened, that they would be edified, that you would plant seeds, Father God, deep into their heart, deep into their spirit, that when these times, when these struggles, when these events come, when Satan comes against them and against their families, that they would remember these words, that they would remember your word, Father God, and they would act righteously and that you would deliver them. Lord God. So for the men in here, I, I, I ask that you pray with me right now. Lord, teach me. Humble my heart, O oh Lord. Guide me in what it means to be a man after your own heart. Strengthen me in the ways I should go, and let me present to you a woman without spot or wrinkle. Teach me what it means to be one flesh and one spirit with the woman you've designed for me. Now, for the women in this room or who are listening, I want you to pray in this manner. Lord Jesus, help me to see the things, the characteristics of God-fearing men. If, if you're looking or, or, or know that you'll have a husband one day, say, Lord, help me to see these and, and identify these that I, can, that I can seek after them. And for those who have husbands, say, Lord, help me cherish and build up these characteristics so that my husband can be a stronger man before you and say lord help me acknowledge and respect his role and show me how to support him in that so for all of us i ask lord jesus christ that if any of us need to fall before you in repentance that that would be done here father god in your house in your presence as we worship together bring us back here safely in the name of jesus christ amen